Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, everybody. And for those who are joining us online today, a very warm and special welcome to you as well. It is always awesome to be in God's house, and it is even more awesome to be here in God's house. Amen? I do want to take a moment of personal privilege before I get into the message content. Uh, I want to thank everyone for the thoughts, the prayers, the calls, the texts, the cards, the messages, everything. Uh, Over the last several weeks, it's been kind of a stressful time in the Jordan Thomas Houston family. Um, My stepfather passed away back on May 17th, and we finally were able to have his memorial service yesterday. Uh, He was uh, um, laid to rest and celebrated his life in a very beautiful, beautiful ceremony. And uh, I think mom's probably watching this morning. Hey, mom! Uh, And so uh, she just wanted us to let you know as a family how grateful we are for the love and the care that you've given us uh, during this difficult time. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you all very much. We are kicking off a new series today, and as you'll see from the graphic, it is entitled Summer Break. And if you cannot read the fine print there, because there's plenty of them, I'm just kidding, it says Breaking from Bad Theology. Breaking from Bad Theology. And so what I wanted to do this month of June is I wanted us to take a look at some of the uh, bad and or incomplete understanding of how God works in our lives and how God is at work in our lives through the world. And so we're going to take a look at some things like some cliches uh, and, like I said, some bad or incomplete understandings to help us get a firmer grasp on how it is that God works in us and God works through us to help make an impact in the world. And so this would be an appropriate time, if you've not done so already, to go ahead and grab your follow-along notes. They were inserted in the info guide. They are available on the Hope Church Plus app, the very top, it's called a card, but the very top icon, just tap that there. It is also on our church website, placeofhope.org. I posted links in Facebook. Hopefully, by the time we get done today, you'll be able to find them. Uh, So we have the follow-along notes as well as the reflection questions if you would like to dig more deeply into the content. And so the first drop, I guess, into this message and this content is the idea about being good, being good. I think back to when uh, I was a teenager and I was working at Six Flags and I was a person of faith. Uh, People knew that. And so occasionally I would be asked some questions. You know, honestly, that is how Tiffany and I met. Uh, people would come and ask me questions, and it was a really cool thing, but uh, I think about, you know, me and, you know, 20, 25 years ago, pushing 30 years ago, uh, how incomplete of an understanding that I had about how God was at work in the world. And one of the things that I talked to somebody about, uh, they asked and, and just pretty much figured or assumed that God wouldn't send someone to hell because I'm a good person, Right? Anyone ever thought that? Believe that? No hands. Okay, one hand. Good. Um, otherwise, I guess I could just dismiss this and grab another cup of coffee, which I desperately need. 
like a hole in the head. But anyway, still, so the whole idea, you know, God's not going to send anybody, anybody good. God's not going to send good people to hell. Uh, and I know this isn't one of those things that we like to think about and talk about. But friends, let me tell you something. Hell is a real place. It's hot. It's nasty. It is unpleasant. And Jesus came to show us the way to the heart of God to protect our soul and to redeem us so that hell is not something that we have to worry about, but something that we deal with, particularly in our Western approach to Christianity, is something that's called works righteousness. Have you ever heard of that term before, works righteousness? What that basically means is that we think we become good based on the things that we do. What the Scripture teaches is that that is not how we are saved. Now, that doesn't let us off the hook for doing good things. But the good things that we do are actually in response to the great thing that God did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. So the, thank you. So the good things that we do are not to save us, but as a response to our salvation. Is that helpful? Okay, I see some heads now. That's good. We're, we're together on this first Sunday in June. So let's look at our first, our kind of our uh, umbrella Bible text for today. It comes from the book of Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 and 9. And you'll see on the screen, we read that, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of who? God, right? Not by works, so that no one can boast. The idea behind this, what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote these uh, words in the letter to the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians letter, is that there's an idea or this propensity that we might have to base the quality or the depth of our salvation on how good we are or how many good things we might be able to do. And so the tendency for that might be to come in and boast because we may feel, wow, I can do some really good things. I can do something better than what my neighbor can do or what my parents can do or what my spouse can do, you know, because spouses bring the spice of life, right? And so I can do something better than what so-and-so can do. And so even in our competitive nature where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, we see this tendency to want to outdo somebody else. You will never, ever be able to outdo the good that God did when he sent Jesus to pay a penalty that you could not pay and to accept and receive a wrath that we could not withstand. Because the whole idea is, is that Jesus would rather face the horror of crucifixion than the horror of the thought of an eternity without you in it. And so we're talking today about salvation. We are not saved based on the good things that we do. That does not let us off the hook for doing good things. But what it does do is it tells us and it teaches us that we are to do the good things as a response for our salvation and to help others know that God is good and to point people to Jesus. That's the umbrella concept of what we're going to talk about today. And so the first thing I want us to think about is that conversation I had with a I don't even remember who it was, but with a person when we were walking uh, right around the crystal pistol at Six Flags, talking about, I just can't see how God would send a good person to hell. And so the first idea is, I'm a good, I'm a good person. Do I really need salvation? I'm a good person. Do I really need salvation? In other words, what we say when we have these thoughts is, I I'm not so bad as to deserve hell. 
Well, let's dig a little more deeply into the way that we might think about this. There was a study that was recently done of 2,000 Americans. And in that study, it was revealed that 81% believe that humanity is inherently good. Right? 81% believe that humanity is inherently good. Now, I see some heads shaking. Friends, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because that is a fallacy. Humanity is not inherently good. We are inherently evil. Now, you look at precious child that we have here in the nursery, and you think, how could this precious, beautiful gift of love be evil? And I'll tell you, come Tuesday morning when summer camp begins, if you would like to come and take a look, we'll be more than happy to show you how evil we can be, right? Right? Stealing people's food, stealing people's toys, telling lies, pulling hair, pinching, pushing, punching. What was that right here? Biting, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a big one. I know there are some children who are at home this morning sharpening their teeth. So, parents, <laughs> if you're missing an emery board, <laughs> please help us. Nah, I say all that in jest, but the, but the gist is the same. We are not inherently good. Yet still, we want to think that we are. 75% believe that they are basically good as individuals. So you see this number drop by just a little bit. So there are some people who believe, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not a good person. I'm not a good person. So that is either one of two things. It is someone being realistic about their natural tendencies toward selfishness, toward evil. Or it is someone who has fully come to understand that no matter how much I want to be good and do good things, there is always going to be this temptation and this tendency to slip back toward selfishness and all the things that go along with it. So 75% believe that they are basically good. But here is something that is interesting to me. 46% believe they are better than someone else, or just categorically, better than most people. I just said better than others, though, so it all fit on one line. Do you think that number's low? I do. I do too. And, and, and one of the reasons I think that that number is low is I think it points back to that natural sin tendency, the sin problem that we have, where we think, yeah, I'm not really that bad of a person. I, don't, I wouldn't deserve hell. I'm better than the majority of people that I know. And that means I'm, I'm a good boy. I like to refer to it as my Tom Thumb theology, right? You remember the old nursery round Tom Thumb? You stick in your thumb and pull out a plum and say, my, what a good boy am I? Kind of getting into my Pinocchio impression, right? That was my slide whistle. Friends, this is indicative of our human sin problem. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 23 reads this. There is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the truth of Scripture. That there is not one person who is good and righteous in the eyes of God. Now, how does that make you feel? For some, it might be a relief to hear that and say, wow. For others, it might be, ooh, 
but I'm still pretty good. I I don't deserve the the stinking pits of hell. But what we see is revealed in the scripture that no one is righteous, not even one. And so we need to look at that word righteous really quickly and get an idea and understanding about what it means. It means living perfectly according to the will of God, the word of God, and going the ways of God. Is there anybody who has ever done that perfectly? Jesus, yeah, so kind of a trick question, right? But is there anyone in the room who has ever done that personally? No. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes they're major mistakes, misses. We create big messes. Sometimes they're tiny. But God's standard isn't based on size or consequence, but based on are you following the will, the word, and going the way? And if you've even slipped up, it's like playing a game Monopoly. It's like landing on immediately, go straight to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect your $200. Maybe it will go up with inflation, but we'll see. The reality is, is that once we make a mistake, we commit an infraction, we have violated not just a piece of the law, but God's entire law. And therein lies the struggle that we have. There are things, part of God's will, word, and way that we may not even fully understand or embrace. But ignorance is no defense under the law. The reality is is that we have to perfectly go according to God's will, God's word, and God's way. And if we slip, accidentally or intentionally, we have a problem. And so, the reality is, is that we all deserve the consequences of not going God's way, which brings us to the second point. I'm not a bad person. Is my sin really that bad? Or is my sin really that bad? I'm not a bad person. I have fundamentally good thoughts and good ideas, and I fundamentally do good things. You know, I may miss up every now and then. Every now and then it may be a mistake. Sometimes it may be an intentional thing. I'm going to go ahead and eat that 13th piece of pizza like I did yesterday, a little ingestion. Right? So... Only one person laughed. Why was it 13? I've been 14. (laughs) But we all fall short of that glory of God. And therefore, as a result, we all deserve the punishment and the penalty. And if we recognize the propensity that we have for almost everyone to consider themselves relatively better than the other, what is it that we are actually doing? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. When we do that, we set ourselves as the standard and the standard bearer, don't we? That again gets back to this reality that we must face about, rea- about original sin, is that we think it is all about us all the time, and that the world should revolve around us, and that people should bow down to us, and even God should ask our opinion and preference before something else spins anew in the universe. We think we are at the center of the world, which means that we have fallen short of God's glory, and we all deserve the consequences of it. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are two words I want us to focus in on, hone in on here right now. The first is wage. What is a wage? 
It's a payment, right? It is a payment in return for something that you did. And so we oftentimes think about wage in terms of our salary or our compensation for the work that we do. And so what we read here in the scripture is that the compensation that we are to receive for the work that we do because it is self-centered, it is self-focused, is what? Death. Again, that is the part that we must come to grips with, that when we stray and we do not go and do not live according to the will, the word, and the way of God. The wages of that, what we earn, what we deserve for going our own way as opposed to God's way is death. But when we go back to it, we see that salvation comes to us as a gift. Now, I probably don't need to ask you what a gift is because we just had Mother's Day a couple weeks ago. Father's Day is coming up in a couple weeks. My Father's Day gift arrived early from what Tiffany told me. And she told me not to open that box on the kitchen counter right at home from annual conference on Friday night. It's a gift. It's something that is given. When we get a gift, sometimes we want to immediately tear into it. Sometimes maybe we feel a little shy or embarrassed, and we don't want other people to see either our excitement or disappointment about what lies on the other side of the box, the back of the ribbon, the bow. But the gift that comes to us is eternal life. And so we may deal and wrestle, or as a joke, occasionally wrestle, if you grew up in the South, right? We may occasionally wrestle or wrestle with what it means to receive a gift like that. Sometimes we receive the gift of eternal life, and we're like, oh, yes, I'm going to do my Jesus jig for my stool this morning. I needed it. Or sometimes it's like, I don't want to acknowledge that I have this problem in my life where I do need the gift of salvation. We don't want to acknowledge the fact that there are proverbial holes in our socks that mean we need to get new socks. We don't want to acknowledge that we have issues to where salvation is necessary. It gets back to the statistics, right? 81% of people believe that we are inherently fundamentally good. 75% believe that they are inherently or basically good, and 46%, which I think is a lie, believe they're better than somebody else, or everybody else, most of us. The wages of sin is death whenever we put ourselves at the center and we expect the world to revolve around us and for God to consult us. What are we earning from that? death because we're not perfectly going according to God's will and God's word and going God's way. We all deserve the punishment for going our own way, choosing our own will. So is there any hope for us? The third point speaks to maybe another category of individual. This is, I'm too bad to be saved. Is there any hope for me? This is one of the nefarious, stinking things that Satan wants to try to convince you of. Is that your sin, your messes, your misses, your mistakes disqualify you from the goodness of God's gift. Again, think about the idea next last time you got a present or you're getting a present for somebody else. And they're to say, I'm not worthy of this gift. Maybe it was something magnificent, right? Maybe it was a Lexus December to remember in your household. 
Or maybe it was something simple like a little flower picked by a child and handed to you in pure, authentic, innocent love. I'm not worthy of it. Satan wants to try to convince you that you are disqualified from the grace that God wants to put in your life because of who you are. Friends, let me tell you something. And this is where we really see the pendulum swing in this message here, is that salvation is not based on how good you are. Because we can never be good enough, right? Hopefully we've established that by now. Salvation is never based on how good you are, but on how good Jesus Christ is. Because Jesus Christ took your sin up the Mount Calvary and allowed it to be nailed to the cross with him. He died on that cross, and he was placed in a borrower's pauper's grave, in a borrowed pauper's grave, where your sin was buried forever. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, alive, after being resurrected by God, it is the power of God saying, the same power that I surged into that tomb that brought my one and only son back to life is the same power that is available to surge into your life right here, right now, this day, this place. To bring you out of the depth of your sin and the death that you earn. Friends, I cannot emphasize this enough. It is not based on how good you are but how good God is, because we can never be good enough on our own, or at least good enough long enough. It's based on how good God is. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, let that wash over you like the blood of Jesus cleansing you from your sin. While we were still sinners, while we were still dirty, rotten, mistake-riddled individuals, God sent Jesus. And our kind of cause and effect, wage, earn, all the other stuff, lifestyle that we tend to live, I want to think about something we refer to as positive reinforcement, right? Oftentimes when we're disciplining our children, I don't mean punishing them, I'm talking about trying to mold and shape them for future proper behavior, we use incentives. And sometimes we do that in work environments. We do that in our relationships. We do that in, uh, with our significant others, with our spouses, with our parents, with our children, whatever. We use incentives to try to get good behavior out of what we see as behavior that isn't quite good enough yet, right? What we see here is that the scriptures tell us that that's not what God did. God did not give us the incentive first to say, come on to me, and then I'm going to send Jesus to, to wash you up. He said, I'm going to send you Jesus, and I'm going to have him help wash you up, wash you up together. And so what we have to come to grips with, and this challenges the way that we live and that we want to see the world, operative where we want to see the world, is that we think that if we clean our room or clean our plate or clean behind our ears, whatever, that if we clean up our lives first, then we're going to be worthy of the gift of Jesus. That's not how God operates. Hallelujah, right? Yeah. He says, accept me, come to me, and together we will clean up your life. Because the standard then, if we are allowing ourselves to be the standard, is that we will say, oh, that's good enough. That's clean enough. You've eaten enough green beans to be able to earn your McDonald's ice cream cone. 
if the machine works, of course. Right? But see, that's the, that's the fallacy. Is that with God, grace always works. It's always there. Romans 5 also tells us that it, when it comes down to God's grace and our sin, God's grace wins every single time. There's no sin too big for God to forgive. God loves you. And while you were still rotting in your own spiritual death, he sent Jesus, the heartbeat of heaven, to prove to you that the heartbeat of heaven still beats for you, even when you are lost. When you're sick, when you're tired, and when you're sick and tired of being lost, the heartbeat of heaven beats for you. This begs the question. Well, how then can I be saved? Ooh, I'm glad you asked. The concept of salvation, the faith, is alien to us because we still want to do something where we feel like we've earned our salvation, where we deserve the gift that God gives us. But friends, the task is too great. We need divine intervention. What we must be mindful of is that once we receive the goodness of God and the love of God in Jesus Christ, is that we do not slip back into those tendencies and the temptation to live a works righteousness life. Because even once you have Jesus in your life and your heart, you're never going to be good enough for God's perfect standard. You're going to want to make yourself the standard and then compare yourself with your neighbor or other people you do life with, and you're going to be competing for who can be better, who can do more. That's not what God wants for you. God wants you to start where you are and go and grow and become more like Jesus. Not more like your neighbor, lest you turn around and say, there's nobody as good as me. I don't have to try as hard. We cannot slip into this idea of works righteousness. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not would be, could be, should be, might be. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is that gift of God. How can you be saved? Believe in your heart that Jesus is God's one and only Son who died for your sins, took them to Calvary, nailed them to the cross, they were buried in the tomb. Believe that and believe that when God raised Jesus from the grave, he raised you up and out of the power and the dominion of sin that death has and holds over you. The devil's going to try to come back and say, yeah, but don't you remember when you did that or you said that, you did that to that person? Yeah, a good person wouldn't do that. The proper response is, well, well you know, I have come to realize I'm not a good person. I've come to realize that I need this free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Yet we still have this tendency to try to compare and compete, don't we? That means we're putting ourselves back at the center, and we are trying to create ourselves as the standard. I was talking to somebody a while back about life and living a life of faith, like growing to become more like Jesus. So having Christ in our lives, it's that belief and that pro profession of faith that brings us to that point where we realize how far we have to go. And someone made a comment to me, it's like, well, you know, Mark, I, you don't know what it's like to, to walk in my shoes. Yeah, I, I don't. It's probably not. But you may not always know what it's like to walk in my shoes. Hey, dudes, though they may be, 
We don't always know what it's like to walk in other people's shoes. Your struggles may be nothing for me. My struggles may be nothing for you. And in that conversation, I remember looking at my friend and saying, you know, yeah, I don't have necessarily issues with this. And that, but that doesn't mean that I'm not tempted sometimes. I don't put myself in those positions not because I'm virtuous, but because I know I'm not. I know that there's this tendency and this temptation. It's an inertia, if you will, that seeks to try to pull us in. And the devil uses that. The enemy uses that to try to convince you that you are not as good as you think you are. And the temptation is going to be, oh, my gosh, yeah, you're right. The proper response to that is, well, I know I'm not that good. I know that Jesus had to die for me because of my messes and my misses and my mistakes. But I still believe in my heart that Jesus is is exactly who he said he is. That he died for my sins. And God raised him from the grave. Not because of how good I am, but how good he is. And so, Lord, help me fight that temptation to think that it all comes back to my behavior. As we established, hopefully, in the beginning of this message. We do not do good things for other people in hopes of them saving us. We do good things for other people as a response to what God did for us. And in hope of trying to help point somebody back to Jesus. And so the last point in our message this morning is a question that maybe you're asking yourself today. Will God accept me with all that I've done? Maybe you sit here this morning and say, I've only broken five of the Ten Commandments. Some of you may be saying, I've broken all ten. Some of you may be saying, yeah, the, the sins in my life compared to someone else, another, they're really nothing. But you may also be able to say, no one else carries the burden of sin that I carry. Will God accept me? Yes. That's the message of the gospel. God accepts us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And because of what he did for you and for all of us in his one and only son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who took your sins to the grave and was resurrected so that they no longer had any hold on him and therefore have no more hold on you either. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you need to call out to Jesus, call out to Jesus right now. You don't have to clean up your life, clean up your room, clean up your plate. Invite Jesus into your life and he will help you in that journey. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That verse goes on to say, For there's no other name under heaven by which we will find salvation. It is only Jesus. Which means, Paul said, You're not going to be able to call on your own name or your own self or your own standard, your own behavior, your own beliefs in order to save you, except for the fact that God is real. He loves you and his one and only son, Jesus Christ, came to die for your sins and to raise you up so that you can live for him forevermore. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be In Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All the messes, the misses, the mistakes that you've committed in your life, everything you've done wrong, 
whether you've broken one or all ten of the Ten Commandments. There's no condemnation for you because of how it is that you receive Jesus and how God receives you because of it. And then still in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor the powers, nor, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you accept Jesus, and you become part of God's forever family, then your salvation and your fate is sealed. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But what it does mean is we need to strive to be the best that we can be. Again, not making ourselves the standard, but Jesus and trusting him with our life. I think about what it's like having children at, at this point, a young adult child, and coming to the reality that Ethan is making his own decisions. He's choosing how to spend his time and his energy and his money. There was a great message series not too long ago that talked about how you spend your time, energy, and money. I don't know if he, uh, if he had any questions about it, ask me. <laughs> Shameless plug. And, you know, there are times when I agree with it. Sometimes I question it. But I also know Tiffany and I talk about this all the time. You know, that Bible passage that tells us, teach the way a child should go and will not depart from it. Doesn't mean he's never departed, but our hope and prayer is, is that he comes around. And we see a lot of that coming around, coming around. And I love it. And it challenges us. You know, God feels the same way about you sometimes, too. About me. There are times we get it right, there are times we get it wrong. And there are times that we wrestle, we question, and we struggle. That's okay. God would rather you do that because that is a confession of faith in and of itself. That you believe he is real and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But one of the things that I've come to experience as a, as a dad, as a parent, is, you know, sometimes I don't always approve or appreciate the people Ethan hangs out with, spends time with. And I struggle with that every now and then. You ever struggle with that, someone you know? Maybe it's your child or friend, a coworker. But one thing I've come to realize as Ethan's dad is that if someone is important to Ethan, well, then that means I need to see how they can be important to me because my connection with my son is so strong and I love him so dearly that if there's someone who means so much to him, then the connection that he and I have through biology and DNA and all that other stuff also means that there's something intrinsic and beautiful in that person that I want to come and learn and get to know. Friends, this works on a spiritual level as well. There are times we have our messes and our misses and our mistakes. There's no doubt about it, right? There are times we fall short. We see all the points that we've talked about this morning. But what we know from a spiritual point of view is that when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus, the fancy word is intercedes on our behalf with God the Father. And so, it's like even with all the junk and the gunk that we may have in our lives, when God the Father looks at us, Jesus says, yeah, he's with me. The Son, he's special to me. And I need you to know, Dad, 
that there's something special in him as well. There's something beautiful in her. Jesus is the one who comes and says, I've taken on all the mess. Let me go introduce you to my dad. Your dad's going to know you're not perfect. Well, my dad's going to know you're not perfect. But my dad's going to accept you because I accept you. And he's going to want to know you because I know you. And if anyone has, ever has any questions or ever has any doubts, I want you to tell them that you know me. That name Jesus, it'll get you places. Like heaven. Like eternity. That name of Jesus that causes knees to bow and tongues to confess, that name will get you somewhere. Let me ask you a question. Have you called on that name of Jesus? Have you asked the Lord to come into your heart and to help you deal with the messes, the misses, and the mistakes that you've committed and created in your life? If you haven't, there's nothing else you need to do but come to this point in time and say, I call on the name of the Lord Jesus because I believe that he is exactly who he says he is. He did what he said he would do. And as a result, I can find the hope and the future of salvation beginning right here and right now. If you've not yet called on the name of the Lord Jesus to save you, do not let this moment pass you by. If you called on that name Jesus and somewhere along the way got off the path, whether it was days or decades ago, I want you to know that you can come back to Jesus right here and right now. What you'll do when you turn back, you'll see that God's been running after you the whole time, welcoming you back, ready to throw a celebration in heaven. Because the scriptures tell us that when one person turns back around to God, there are parties and even hootenannies that break out in heaven. Wouldn't that be great to know there's a hootenanny taking place in your name? But it's not because of your name, it's because of Jesus. And so let's call on his name. And if you're still trying to work all this out, Come to God, pray, worship, struggle, study, serve, but do it in the name of Jesus. Not to prove how good you are, to compare yourself with what someone else does, or to compete with others because you're one of those people that says, I don't think I'm better than anybody else, but ultimately I really do believe I am. Come to Jesus right now. Come to Jesus. Pray with me, please, as the band comes up to please lead us in our closing song. Almighty God, I thank you for today and for who you are and who you are in us. Lord God, we admit and confess that all too often we think that we are better than we really are based on how we see our standard and how we see other people. But Lord, the reality is, is there's nothing that we can do to ever be good enough to earn the perfection of your righteousness and your holiness. So forgive us when we try to reconcile or work our way through it. There is hope for every single one of us. And forgive us for those times we listen to those sulfuric nothings of the enemy that try to tell us that we are disqualified and that we are unable to come to you because of the mistakes that we've made, no matter how far in the past they may be. And so, Lord God, help us to find the hope that we need and to continue to live a life of pointing people to you through the things that we do, the words that we say, the way that we live our lives. 
and we know that you accept us, not based on how good we are, but how good your son is. And your son Jesus, when he took our sin from us, Lord, he wants to give us the power of your Holy Spirit to lead God and direct us in your way. And so, Lord God, as we bring this message, this first message of the series to a close, I pray that you wrap every single one of us in the power and the love of your Holy Spirit and help us to receive you, that we may share you with the world that is so desperately in need of the hope and the help that only you can give. And for the heavenly hootenannies that are breaking out now because perhaps someone in this room or someone who's heard this message is turning to you. Lord, help us do our part to help them to see that you are real and you love us and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. So we cry out to you. We come to you and we give you thanks that you never quit chasing us along the way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.